Welcome again to Great Takes Less Filling by the Daily Gopher. I am Chris, go AU Fur, and with me as always is U Street. Hey y'all. So, Saturday was a thing that happened. Uh, I don't know about you, uh, U Street, uh, but I personally, I, I don't know what people are upset about. You know, for me, when you get to spend a, a day golfing and knock a really nice course off your bucket list, it's hard for me to remember what we're complaining about. I mean, were people mad that they didn't shoot a hundred or something? Cause can, can you, can you fill me in? Well, I imagine they were probably a little bit annoyed with their tee shots on one and nine or in a football related context. I think they were rather mad that the university of Minnesota lost to the university of Iowa 17 to 10 yesterday. Oh, that see the people have their priorities wrong. You just need to go golf a course you've never played before and then that other stuff, you, you can just go pish posh. I almost hold out uh, for a hole in one on 14, which was in an impossible pin location. And then, you know, that was just beautiful. That that really solves everything. So people need to just, you know, not care so much or something. Well, here's, here's the thing. Uh, it seems to me that you may not have watched all of the game, which means we can return to a bit that we had a couple of weeks ago called Chris Attempts to Guess Actual Stats from the Game. You're right, actually, because I was I, I um, streamed on the way back from Hilton Head, and may or may not have put my phone in a position where that probably wasn't safe to do that, but I did it anyway because I'm dumb. Uh, but anyway, it made it difficult to totally watch the game, and then at halftime, I just said I'm kind of tired, and so I just turned it off. Um, so all my information today came from our Slack chat, which included no stats and no context and uh, nothing of me viewing it. So. Yeah, let's let's play. All right. So we'll start with uh, the rushing attack. Did any of the University of Minnesota running backs run for over 100 yards? I'm going to say yes. Oh, for one. Close. Rodney Smith was 15 for 82 with a long of 17. Shannon Brooks, 9 for 40 for a long of 16. And Coburn McCrary, 7 for 22 with a long of 7. Uh, the team as a total rushed for 142 yards on 43 attempts. And there is a very reasonable argument to be made that that number was much too low from an attempt perspective, that they should have run the ball a lot more than they actually did against Iowa. And the reason being brings up our second question. Demry Croft attempted 29 passes. How many of those were completed? I do remember from the period I was watching, he was like 5 of 13 for a while. So, uh... He hit, how many did he complete? That's the question. Correct. 15? Nope. Under. Nine. He completed nine of 21. To give oh, Demery 20, a... Oh, I, somehow in my head I had you at 29. Okay, no, nine well, out still. of 29. Nine out of 29. Oh, so so even worse than... Oh. Yeah, uh, way worse. To give Demery a little bit of credit here. And there's only a little bit, because he had a relatively atrocious day, which we'll get to in a second. His receivers dropped four passes. Nate Wozniak stopped running on the fourth and one route, and so Demry put it over his head. Generally, I, I, did, it's difficult. I did watch that one. That was bad. Difficult to overthrow someone who's six foot ten, uh, as my Zuba's wearing colleague would point out. However, in this case, that was entirely on Wozniak. If Wozniak had just kept running the route, he's wide open in the back of the end zone at 7-7. It's probably a totally different game. 
Tyler Johnson dropped two balls. Mark Williams dropped a ball. Nate Wozniak dropped another ball earlier in the first half. So while Croft only completed nine of those passes, a similar affliction that afflicted Mitch Leidner last year, which was wide receiver dropsies, also occurred for Minnesota this game, which meant uh, the following. As we talked about the last time we played this game, ESPN has a proprietary ranking called QBR, which we're sort of dubious about, but it's nice because it's one number and it's between 0 and 100. I will give you off the top that the number is less than 50. What was Demery Croft's <laughs> QBR on Saturday? Uh, I'm going to go with 21. 3.5. What? 3.5. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, when you go 9 for 29 for 139 yards and zero touchdowns and one interception, ESPN gives you a quarterback ranking of 3.5, which is actually worse than Connor Rhoda's QBR when we did this the last time. So to be clear, we played a football game where our quarterback had a 3.5 QBR and we were still roughly in a position to tie or win. Yeah, I think it's totally fair to say that Minnesota lost another winnable football game. I, I'm a little I'm still a little gobsmacked by the 3.5 even though I find the stat, you know, roughly eh, whatever, but it's a, it's a number where it, it even if you don't agree with all the methodology, it's a very clearly he played poorly, you know, signifying number. But I think there's no better opportunity to talk about and see in sharp relief the idea that had this team been left with a replacement-level Big Ten quarterback, I know we've harped on this before, but if this team had a replacement-level Big Ten quarterback, golly, they, they would be 7-1 and one right now. Like, I just don't see how they wouldn't, how you, how you, can't, how you can't say that. That one thing alone... I mean, you can't hang your head on everything. They could still have dropsies, but if nothing else changed, I mean, wow, we had a 3.5 out of 100 performance from Demery Croft, and this was still a winnable ballgame. Yeah. That's absurd. Like, that's really absurd. There's no reason for that to be true, but here we are. Well, there, there is one reason for that to be, well, two, technically. One is Iowa is not very good. Fair. The second, though, is that the defense played fantastically. In the, on the first drive, they definitely seemed to still have their heads in the locker room. Iowa went down and scored. Over the next six Iowa possessions, first drive, so first drive of the ballgame, Iowa got 80 yards. Next six possessions combined, 78. In defense of the defense... I would also say the fact that Brian Ferentz is a petulant man-child who apparently put all of his energy into game planning, scheming, and scripting that first drive may also have played a small factor. Uh, I will. I will also say for the for the heat of this rivalry, Brian Ferentz is manna from heaven. If you want this rivalry to have to be hot and to have people like fired up. That dude is a little whiny baby. And honestly, you couldn't come up with anything better than to have little whiny baby versus super energetic Fleck. Fleck won't engage it. 
but the fans will on both sides. And it is going to lead, I think, assuming he doesn't get fired, uh, Brian Frentz, that is, doesn't get fired for being a terrible offensive coordinator, um, which will never happen because, you know, he's the head coach's son and everybody in the administration will do whatever Kirk tells them to. But let's just pretend he was to get fired. Uh, that would be the only thing I think that could keep this from becoming uh, a hot coaching related thing. Because Brian France is going to continually pull a Tim Brewster and get really pissy about stuff that Fleck does. I guarantee it. Yeah, Papa was actually embarrassed about Brian's performance on Saturday, particularly his expletive-ridden rant that I believe was picked up by microphones, and so I actually said publicly that he was embarrassed about it, which is great. It's nice to know that your dad has to come out and tell reporters, yeah, my son's being an idiot. Uh, as a side note, this is why anti-nepotism laws, the kind that the athletic department at the University of Iowa ignored when hiring Brian Ferentz, uh, this is why anti-nepotism laws exist. Like, not laws, policies, I guess, is where I should be going. But regardless, those statures slash written procedures that are designed in public contexts to keep nepotism from happening, this is why. Because you get little man babies who apparently can't watch a video replay and not freak out um, because that was definitely a fumble. Like, definitely a fumble. Not even remotely questionable. That was a fumble. That was a great play by Ken Handy Holly. He was almost my Necton of the Week. Almost. But this week, I'm going to actually give it to Kunle Ayende. And part of the reason I'm going to give it to Kunle Ayende is because Kunle is playing a position that is not his primary position. He is doing it solely because everyone else is injured. And he's been legit fantastic at the corner spot over the last couple of weeks. Now, other players on the team have put forth better individual games, and that's why we haven't thrown one out. But I feel like much in the same way that we should award in sort of a lifetime achievement. I think this neck ten of the week is for both his performance this week, which was quite good, especially in run support, but also his performance of the last couple of weeks. That's why he's my neck ten of the week. Who's your neck ten of the week, Chris? My neck ten of the week, sticking with my bit, which is to talk about the golf before the football, is my caddy on Saturday, Guy. Guy was fantastic. He was great with the recommendations. And I got lucky enough to get paired up with a guy who actually had experience two years on the web.com tour uh, for JJ Spawn. And JJ Spawn is now on the PGA tour with three top 10 finishes. So I got paired up with a dude who like looped with a dude who's a legit tour pro now. And that's who was on my bag. And now I'm forever spoiled. It was my first caddy. No caddy will ever equal up to to Guy. And that's my necktown of the week because I shot way better at Harbortown than I should have because I had somebody who knew what they were doing on the bag as opposed to me just duffing it up. Uh, Side note, everyone who golfs should definitely do a cool locking caddy at some point. Just don't do it all the time. It's not worth the money. But it is one time. At least once in your life, do it. And then the rest of the time, maybe don't do it. Because it's not worth the money overall. I mean, it is, but not unless you won the lottery. And I, I don't play the lottery. So now I'm rambling. Football. Do I have a necktie of the week? No, I do not. We lost to Iowa, and I only watched half the game. So um, we're going to stick with my golf answer. Obviously, we would all change the loss to a win if we could change an outcome from Saturday. But 
Alex, what would you change about Saturday besides the outcome if you could change uh, one thing? I can't believe I'm saying this, both given my general love of throwing the ball as well as the team. But Minnesota should have run the ball a lot more than they did. Now, the balance wasn't necessarily the problem. And even within that, some of the throws weren't really the problem. As I said, when you got wide receiver dropsies, throwing the ball is going to look worse than it may actually be. And it seemed as if they were definitely, they the coaching staff thought they had seen something on film that they could exploit with the Hawkeyes and credit for just really trying to hit that one home. But the Gophers were having a lot of success on the ground, particularly having success against the edge. Iowa basically lines up in their base personnel no matter what you throw at them, and their linebackers are not the fleetest of foot. Minnesota did a very good job of exploiting that. They had a couple of swing passes, which I really liked. They went on the jet sweep. We saw a couple outside zones. We even, for the first time, saw a draw play that was so miserably executed that it led to a three-yard loss, but I liked the style. They should have run the ball a lot more. What's sort of surprising about that is if you were listening to our Sky U podcast preview of this, Blake noted that Iowa has been a little bit weak in the passing game. I didn't actually think that their pass defense was that great. I just thought that Demi Croft was really not putting the ball where he needed to put the ball most of the time. So that's the, that's the primary thing that I would have changed. The other thing that I would have changed on a defensive side, which in general was great, uh, but I would have retroactively gone back in time, found the angry Minnesota quarterback hating God, and smacked him really hard and told him to stop it. Because if Minnesota had their fully healthy secondary, Justice Harris doesn't get picked on twice. And though the second time in particular is really the difference between Minnesota driving for a field goal and tying the game versus driving for a field goal and needing another seven to win. I think if I had to change things about Saturday, the first is I would not have hit into a bunker that guy told me was nicknamed Pete Dye's middle finger. You can take a good guess about how that went. Uh, I would definitely have let Josie Jewell go ahead and take a nap for the entire game as opposed to playing. And uh, honestly, I could have done with uh, just a little bit more QB execution because I think the one thing that you noted that I found interesting when I realized that they were doing it was Iowa was staying in their base defense, which also meant that when we went three wide receivers, we probably matched up really nicely to get the throws we wanted if we had a quarterback who was consistently executing the throws we wanted. And to be fair to that quarterback, if we had wide receivers who were actually getting separation. That's true. Because yesterday they were not. And they were not, especially when they would get matched up in slot positions. I think it's fair to criticize the offensive coaching staff for a variety of things this year. I also think even if it's unfair, fans are going to do it anyway because that's what we do. In this case, though, what was surprising to me was, like, why would you target Rashad still at all? At no point during this season has Rashad still shown an ability to get active separation from his defender. Demery threw a bad ball to Rashad still, and that 
allow the defender to get over and make a good play. Rashad didn't fight for that one particularly hard, but nonetheless, it wasn't a good ball. But from an execution standpoint more generally, motion Tyler Johnson, and if you're going to key on one guy, key on the one receiver this year who's actually successfully caught passes for you and been competent. That was the other thing from an execution. They were trying to get matchups, but the matchups they were trying to get were clearly not good matchups. And I think they could have done a better job moving around, in particular Tyler Johnson, but also potentially moving around Philip Howard, who was back, moving Rodney Smith and Shannon Brooks around to get those mismatches. I didn't think they did a particularly good job of that. I think that's fair. Ultimately, where we end up today, coming off a loss to to Iowa, honestly, it just feels like there is a bit of overreaction, not universally, uh, but certainly more than, you know, the tiny, small segment of our fan base. It's, it's a decent sized segment of the fan base that's really upset. And I think, again, we're coming back to some of the things that to me, don't make a lot of sense. And I would really, really suggest that people chill the fuck out. Um, nine wins last year. You know what? Doesn't mean anything. When you're a replacement Big Ten quarterback away from being 7-1, and one, the problem isn't your coaching staff. It just isn't. Uh, well, I should say the problem is not the current coaching staff. The problem was the previous coaching staff who could neither recruit nor develop nor keep a competent Big Ten level quarterback in place for this season. Because or wide receivers, the majority of them at least. That's true, because the wide receiver position is based almost entirely off underclassmen right now. Well, I mean, ugh. you know, like you don't have that and, you, and you're in a perfectly good spot this, for, for this year. And I think that's – no, that is not to say that this is not frustrating. This is extremely frustrating. We are still in a position where instead of being 7-1 and one possibly right now, we're looking at probably not making a bowl game right now. And I shouldn't say that as a certainty because, again, much like Iowa was a winnable game, Nebraska is still going to be a winnable game. Northwestern still going to be a winnable game. Obviously, I'm not really looking at Michigan or Wisconsin as winnable games. But we're in a position where we have to win both of our winnable games now. And one of them is on the road against a team that does that thing they do where now they just beat uh, Michigan State in triple overtime. And so now is that Michigan State playing bad for a game? Is that Northwestern improving themselves? You know, Northwestern is really good at that. They always seem to pick up a win late in the season that makes you go, oh, we were kind of counting on beating Northwestern and now it could be harder. It's like a patented Pat Fitzgerald thing to annoy all the other fan bases. But ultimately, I mean, these are not the things we're struggling with are the things that I and other people called out in the preseason as, hey, you know what? This could be a tough year. Offensive line, although they've definitely improved run blocking as the big time season has gone on, offensive line is still an area of concern. There's still a lack of consistency there. And injuries, you know, have certainly played a role. The depth in general has played a role. The inexperience in general has played a role. Defensive backs. I mean, Justice Harris got torched on, you know, as you said, I think earlier, basically the same play twice. 
that's I don't want to pick on that kid too much. I mean, ultimately, you're talking about going deep into your depth chart and going to inexperienced folks to have to fill holes. Iowa wanted to pick on him. Damn it. Too well played. I got nothing. I got nothing for that. But the depth at defensive back was a known issue coming into this year. And then, most glaringly, quarterback play. We knew we didn't have an experienced quarterback on the roster. We knew we could have problems with that. We didn't know what we were going to get. And certainly there was nothing to, to lead us to believe that we were going to get superior QB play to what we've seen. And those three alone, and that's not even all the things that people had called out, but those three alone are the story of, I mean, essentially every Big Ten loss we've had, with the exception of Michigan State, where, you know, the QB play was good, at least in the second half, not the first half. On our first SkyU podcast, about four minutes in, we had a general conversation about what our predictions were for the season. As I do every year, I predicted the Gophers to go 14-0, and and you expressed some interest in how I came to that conclusion. And then I almost immediately said that I think it's totally plausible that one of two scenarios happens. Either they finish closer to 9-3 and because a lot of things break right, or alternatively, they finish 2-7 and in Big Ten play. They finished 2-7 and seven in Big Ten play because we had no idea who the offensive line was going to be and we didn't know who the quarterback was. If I had to look at our offense, and the receivers were a question mark. If I had to look at our offense, I'm not brilliant, nor was that a unique take, nor was that a take that other people on the blog hadn't already pointed out. Uh, you, Gopher Nation Tom, Iowa Gopher Blake had a lot of stuff in the offseason talking about just these things. Blake had an excellent series that was reviewing and previewing positions, which specifically noted the problems of the offensive line during the offensive line post. It's un- Sometimes I feel it's unfortunate that more people don't read our blog. Put it that way. <laughs> or listen to our podcast. So we appreciate all the people who are currently listening. We hope you get more. The other frustration about this that I have is I think people have decided Rightly or wrongly, I don't know, it's an opinion. That they don't like P.J. Fleck very much. Which is fine. I also think that one of the problems with having that as your prior and your view going in is that previous coaching staffs have somehow gotten a lot better than they actually were. Like, shit, this team almost lost to Rutgers last year. Probably should have, if we're being real honest. Yep. And that was last year's Rutgers, which this year's Rutgers actually has a a tiny sliver of competence in them. Last year's Rutgers was still, for anyone who forgets, last year's Rutgers went into a stretch with Ohio State and Michigan and lost by a combined like 150 to zero. Yeah, Jerry and Grant's run against Michigan on Saturday. Uh, was more yards on that run than Rutgers got the entire game last last year against Michigan. The the other thing that's really actually kind of annoying to me about the comparison thing is it's totally fine to suggest like, hey, you know, they could have gotten more wins if they had just done something else. For example, I thought they probably should have run the ball more. I thought they probably should have attacked the edge more against Iowa. I'm not going to say that they would have beat Iowa if they had done that. Because one, the other side is getting scholarships too. Two, 
just because they were having success was not meaning they were having unbelievable success at doing so. And the things that were working tended to be things that Iowa did adjust to reasonably well in the second half, though not perfectly. But three, the notion that this staff doesn't have a system or doesn't have an identity is only true in a universe where you can point to a previous identity that existed or that you could appoint to what an identity would look like. When you're not doing well on offense, you don't have an identity. It doesn't matter what you're actually trying to do. If Paul Johnson and Georgia Tech can't run the ball, it don't really matter that their identity is the flex bone. They're sucking at what they're trying to do. The Gophers have an identity. It's a ball control heavy offense. It attempts to put people in positions, one-on-one -on -one in space, to make plays. They would like, on if they're throwing intermediate or deep routes, to be able to spring their receivers for long yards after catch. They want to give their athletes the ball. From a running perspective, they are a zone running team. They love to run the inside zone. They can't, because the offensive line hasn't blocked it particularly well. But they've moved recently to the offensive uh, to the outside zone. This is a team that loves to base out of shotgun exclusively, but has moved to a single back to tight end with another running back on the field to run the ball out of a max jumbo set. The coaching staff is attempting to put their best players on the field. It just so happens that right now they're not very good. And they're not very good for all the reasons you mentioned. So to attribute that to saying, well, this staff can't coach, or this staff isn't caring about its players, or this staff like doesn't give a crap about the seniors, is annoying, wrong, and I think is also betraying a bias that I think people should check. Because again, as you've mentioned many times, if you are watching an entertainment product and it is not entertaining to you, do something else. Go to Harbortown. Spend a large amount of money on golf. Yeah, I will say uh, my amazing golf day was not the least expensive golf day I've ever had. Um, but don't be afraid to splurge on that once in your life, folks. It, it's totally worth it. You just can't make a habit out of it, nor will I. But before we go farther, it's also important to note that we need to uh, announce that that was today's nuclear hot take presented by Fallout 4. As always, uh, Alex, you excel at our nuclear hot takes, and it is near and dear to my heart that you do so. I mean, yeah, I, I think this, oh golly, it's a frustrating year, and you just got to gotta look for the positives. If, if you are thinking that this isn't your staff, I mean, I guess I get it. I've never understood writing off a staff after year one. It just doesn't make any sense to me. If we were going to write a staff off after year one, then why would anyone still be a fan of Jerry Kill? I mean, as I recall, the not as I recall, it seems to me that a lot of the folks who seem to be writing off the staff were big fans of Jerry Kill. But Jerry Kill certainly didn't show us a lot in year one. Oh, but he took, he took over a team that was terrible. You know, they were so bad. They had no players. They had no staff. Brewster had destroyed everything. They finished one, you know, three and nine or whatever. You had to have a total rebuild from the ground up, a complete culture change, and that isn't going to happen here because last year they won nine games. 
even though last year they had a team that got into a massive gang rape problem, even though last year those nine wins are the weakest nine wins I've ever seen, should only have been eight if Mike Leach had figured out anything in a bowl game. And if we're going to talk about people discussing their brand, I don't recall anyone being all that mad about hashtag Jerry Soda, including Jer himself. I feel like Jerry Kill spent a long period of time very much trying to make brick by brick happen, which was his own prideful thing. I know that we put up bricks all around the stadium. My family happens to own one. I think that when we discuss branding, maybe it's the reason why you're annoyed at the current guy as opposed to the previous guy. The current guy is just a little bit better at doing marketing than the previous guy. And the previous guy, the good one, not Snorlax, the good one, <laughs> when things weren't going well, tended to spend a lot of time complaining about other things. And he would get back to like, you know, it ultimately all falls down me on coach chat. But if you listen to those press conferences, Jer wasn't out there really saying we got to coach better. We're in this weird, we're in this weird world. We're in this weird world where you got a young, energetic guy who, like, yeah, let's be real. If he does really well here, wins nine or ten games, takes us to the Big Ten championship, and there's a really great coaching vacancy out there, and they're gonna throw him a lot of money, he probably leaves. I'm fine with that. <laughs> I am also 100% there for a season that's good enough to get him to go to a better job. Because it means we had a season, because it means we had a season that was good enough for him to go to a better job. For that matter, Jerry kept downplaying it, but when they broke through that first year, his name was coming out for a lot of offers too. People don't think of Minnesota as a destination job. And honestly, that's fine. They probably shouldn't be. It's probably also better than feeling that it should be, and then you turn into Nebraska. <laughs> the previous coaching staff had a specific identity, and that identity was, by and large, when it was going right, win every game that you should expect to win, lose every game you shouldn't. Do I think that flex staff will be better? Personally, I think the answer to this is yes. But do I think that somehow he is doing something that is drastically different than literally every other successful, egotistical D1 coach, which is all of them? No. <laughs> there isn't a single coach who on some level doesn't want to do this kind of thing. Doesn't want to get rah-rah. Do I think the slogans are kind of silly? Probably. As an outsider, I don't get all that jazzed about hyper. To me, family doesn't have periods in it. <laughs> but the only reason you're mad about it is because they're 4-4 four and four and not 7-1. and one. And they've been in all of those games. You get bounces go a slightly different way. They're 7-1. and one. I strongly doubt that the people who are complaining about this are complaining about it in the same way if they're 7-1. and one. And to me, that tells you that your problem is not with the staff, but with the outcome. You don't care about the process. And for that matter, you probably shouldn't. Like, as a fan, you really only care about what goes down on Saturday. But if you're a coaching staff, you very much should care about what happens Sunday to Friday. 
And you should care about the fact that Fleck gets into living rooms of people that the kill staff never would have even tried to go for. And if we look at what's really good on this team this year, in fact, the reason why some people are potentially worried, what's the strength of this team? It's the defense. What specifically on the defense is the strength of the team when they were fully healthy? It's the linebackers and the defensive line and Steven Richardson. What was the previous staff good at recruiting? The only thing they were good at recruiting. Linebackers, defensive backs, and Steven Richardson. Running backs. And running backs. But even running back, running backs to a certain extent, like, you put anyone who's reasonably fast and good in the backfield, running back's fungible. Now, these guys are good. Don't get me wrong. I love Rodney Smith, Shannon Brooks, and Kobe McCray. They're great running backs. Jonathan Femi Cole looked real good when he came in. The running back is the most fungible position on the offense. And they'd look even better if they could have recruited offensive line at all. Yeah, these running backs could be absolute. If they had a Mason offensive line, oh goodness. If they had a Mason offensive line, we'd be talking about Rodney Smith in the sort of general way that we talk about Justin Jackson. Not Saquon Barkley, but like Justin Jackson, we'd definitely be talking about him that way. In case you couldn't tell, folks, Alex is slightly passionate about this topic. Just, just a touch. Just a I'm touch just passionate. tired of this bullshit, man. Well, you're not wrong. See, that's the thing is you're not wrong. Like, I, may, I make light of it just because that's what we do on this podcast, but... You're not wrong, man. Well, I'm I'm here for the takes. To be fair, it's a, it's a gorgeous day. I'm not actually I'm not actually generally this annoyed. But if we're talking about fire hot takes, the fire hot take is when Jerry Kill was here, especially as it got to the end, a lot of people had problems with the way that offense worked. In fact, this own blog had problems with the way the offense worked. The offense has been bad since Mason left. The defense got a lot better, and that was the change. And instead of losing by 30 points, they only lost by 7 or 10. And that was very exciting. It should be very exciting because you do want a product. But that game that we saw on Saturday is the exact same game that I watched the Gophers lose to Iowa twice in the last seven years. And actually almost identical to the 2013 game in the sense that we threw... You could argue we should have run the ball more than we threw. Although I will say the 2013 Iowa team was way better at stopping the run than like 2013 was a shoot your shot. Like you're probably not going to win if you run the ball more. So you kind of pass in that regard. In this one, it was you're definitely going to win the game if you hit your shot passing. But we didn't. So maybe you should have run the ball more because there was still success on that side. Hey, remember last year when Mitch Leiner probably had a concussion and Jay Johnson kept passing the ball in the second half instead of running it? That was pretty sweet. Yeah. But remember, this the previous staff would have run the ball a lot more. It's not like they would have had basically the identical game plan and probably played a concussed quarterback at doing it. You know what's, what's actually hilarious to me is that for the whole, like, people rag on the focus on the process thing, does anyone forget what Brick by Brick was about? Which we all loved. We all we all loved brick by brick. Brick by brick was entirely about process. 
No, I, I thought I, I thought the difference is is that that was an important key philosophy and not just like a snappy slogan you could put on T-shirts and helmets. Because, you know, snappy slogans are usually based off of the death of, death of your child. Yeah. I, I think that's a known marketing thing. Have a child die, then make a snappy slogan. Well, I mean, to be fair, brick by brick is something that relates to, of course, the tragic failures of Vietnam. Yeah, it's, it's well known that brick by brick refers to the fall of Saigon. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah, I remember, I remember when they tried to trademark it and got into trouble because Tennessee had, in fact, already trademarked it. But remember, brick by brick is a very original, deep-seated philosophy and culture, and not at all just a slogan that people did for motivational reasons. I believe if you uh, get the appropriate translation of The Art of War, uh, it's actually in there, too. The other interesting thing for me, too, uh, is ultimately, you know what? I would guarantee part of the frustration about this year is not even about the lack of outcome. It's that the first two Big Ten losses came to Maryland and Purdue. And here's the really interesting thing. Even with all the injuries we have on defense, I think the defense we've seen against Michigan State, for the most part, I, I think Michigan State exploited some very specific defensive issues, but they wouldn't, those were not things that Purdue or Maryland could have exploited. If we see the defense that we've had over the last three games, I think we win Purdue and Maryland and are bowl eligible right now. Well, I think it's certainly the case that if, the defense holds against Purdue, they win. That's just true by the concept of that game. And I think I think the defense we've seen play over the last couple of weeks is good enough to have held in that game. And I think the same is true against Maryland. And so I think it's equally frustrating to me that separate from the idea of, you know, could we just have a better quarterback and be better? We caught... We just we, we the team we are now is not the team we were at the beginning of the Big Ten season, and that's true for everybody. Uh, except that by the same token, if you look at Purdue, Purdue doesn't seem to have gotten a lot better. Purdue seems to the the good that they were doing early, which is not to be discounted. I think what Purdue has done has, is under Brom is is actually quite impressive, uh, and you got to be happy for them. I mean, no, you really don't. But I mean, if we're being positive, but they haven't sustained it. And they haven't been playing massively difficult teams the whole way through. They've played some good teams, some bad teams. The improvement is there. And I think the positives are there. But I think people got, or or some folks are getting really hung up on the idea of, well, Purdue was winning games right away. And I mean, people look back at the Louisville game like that was something. Louisville, I mean, not actually that great this season at all. And so you can't really hang your hat. Oh, they played Michigan tough for three quarters. You know what? I wouldn't be shocked to watch Minnesota play Michigan tough for three quarters. Like, I don't think we're going to win. I don't even necessarily think it's going to be that close. It's going to be a really bad slap fight. The other thing that I will say, and I'll put this, I'll put this on, on Fleck. This is true. When Fleck talks about like how my personality isn't for everybody, that is normally what someone says when they're going to say something kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah. 
it's a fair point. Like if you're if you're at a party and someone has just decided like this is the time for me to tell you my five minute stand up bit, and then they go, but like, hey, this might not be for everyone. In some way, they kind of know this is probably a bad idea. <laughs> and I think it's like it's totally fair if you find the dude annoying. I would imagine that his wife finds him annoying at some times. That level of consistent energy. The thing that's sort of amazing about Fleck is that it's clearly just who he is. And he is also exploiting that from a marketing perspective. But underneath, like, no, that's just really who that dude is. And that's what everyone says, including people who didn't like him very much. Yeah, I mean, there are coaches that are clearly not his guys like um oh golly sakes matt Langrover, not his guy we're led to believe from the previous stop at northern illinois that jay Savell and fleck do not get along no uh and i don't think obviously tracy tracy really didn't get along with him but i mean even if you i mean look at Langrover apparently doesn't really dislike him it's just that he they were not like the same guys for each other and I mean, that's not wrong. Like, I mean, think about people you work with. You're going to have a a dude or a gal in your workplace who they're just not for you. But if they're doing good work and they're doing and they're not inappropriate in how they accomplish the goal, I I don't know what you want. Like, oh, it's a hundred. First off, it's a hundred percent Marcus and Martha, the two people who always want you to sponsor their run walk, and you're like, guys. I just don't really care that much. We don't know each other, and you make more money than I do. Sponsor your own walk. That's always people I hate at the workplace. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's one of those ones where, like, the quality of the comment, I just, it gobsmacked me. I couldn't even laugh right away because it was just like, yep, you're not wrong. Because he's not a Todd. He's not a Todd. He's a Marcus or Martha. He's de- he's definitely he's definitely a Marcus. He's the guy that comes around is like really excited for you to go to the workplace happy hour. I oh, see now you're making me into a Marcus. No 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 no. I don't think I don't think you show up like every day every Friday. It's like hey guys, it's five p.m. You know what that means? Crappy Irish bar. Everyone buys their own. <laughs> Okay, fair. That's the differentiator. I get really excited for the limited certain events that we do as a team, not the not that weekly. Let's all do this, and then nobody pays for a round. Okay. And I think I think that is for people who don't like Fleck. I think that's what they see in his personality. And I'm not going to say they're wrong. I haven't met the guy. My view is I generally enjoy that aspect of him. I don't have a problem with it. And I'm far more sanguine, blasé, whatever, about the future of the program in that I don't think that is a detriment. And I also don't believe that year three is going to look like year one. But I'm, we're all making bets. So my ire here is not, oh, you don't like something the coaching staff is doing or you don't like the guy personally. It is... This person is doing something that is so obviously fraudulent, as opposed to either the previous coaches who were paragons of virtue, 
or like every other D1 coach in the history of time. Bear Bryant wore a stupid-ass hat, but he won a lot of games, and so everyone in Alabama was like, you know, houndstooth, that's fashionable. Finally, one thing that really, really sunk in for me this week, uh, talking with uh, Max from Blackheart Gold Pants and the ill-fated Minnesota Nice podcast that was and then wasn't due to audio issues, doing the Q&As with the guys from Go Iowa Awesome, uh, just talking to everybody on the blog, uh, on Slack. Minnesota-Iowa as a rivalry, to me, is extremely, extremely like an interesting family where the immediate family is really cool with each other, but you have some extended family that are just the worst. If Iowa Week, for me, was nothing but interacting with Iowa bloggers and some affiliated individuals from Iowa who are close to those bloggers, I would love Iowa Week. The Iowa bloggers, for the most part, are really, they're good about rivalry hate, like coming up with comments that make you go, ooh, that just annoys me, but you're not necessarily wrong. And then you got to come with a comeback for it. But there's no stupidity to it. Like, it, it it's mockery. If, if it, something's a really, really dumb thing, it's because they're mocking people who actually believe those dumb things. But, so those are your brothers or your sisters. You're, you've got a good rivalry, sibling rivalry. It's fun, a positive sibling rivalry. Obviously, I know not everyone has a positive one. But then on both sides, Minnesota and Iowa, there's this extended family, these asshat cousins that show up to Christmas and drink too much and spend the whole time just making crude jokes and saying the wrong things. And just you're you're worried to take your significant other to meet them because you're worried that they're going to latch onto those people, not the cool brothers and sisters, but the cousins. That's what Iowa Week is. It's like taking your drunken cousin who you never want to see and Christmas is too much, turning it up to a thousand, multiplying it by a sizable chunk of both fan bases and turning them loose. That's what Iowa Week is to me. At the end of Iowa Week, all I can think is, boy, I'm glad that now I can get back to just interacting with uh, the bloggers on Twitter and avoid the interactions where literally this week I had somebody try to make fun of me for a quote. They thought the article I was quoting was my own. It was written by an Iowa beat writer. And then when I called them on it, they said they didn't read the article. And I was incredulous. So you're mocking me for an article I didn't write that actually said something you'd support because you didn't read it because it's hate week. Hey, man, if you didn't want me to fall through the window, you shouldn't have put it right there. Oh, and that for me is the positive close to Iowa week is that I will have fewer interactions with the dregs of humanity that populate that fan base. And honestly... I, I'm sure the Iowa bloggers feel the same way, that the worst of the Minnesota fans will get out of their timeline and go back to apparently 
thinking nine wins against the inferior schedule somehow means that we're fucking up this year. Because, you know, that makes sense. That's what I got. You got anything else there, Street? I do not. Folks, thanks again for listening to the Great Takes Less Filling Podcast. Go Gophers. Sky you up. Roll the boat. Thank you.